there's something significant about this weekend. Here's Pastor Trent Griffith. Listen, he didn't come to be a personal life coach. He didn't come to be a financial counselor. He didn't come to be a marriage counselor. He came to be a savior. He didn't come to give you good advice. He gave good news that His work on the cross was sufficient to save those that were destined to an eternity in hell. Tell your story. Lift up your eyes. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Easter's about so much more than egg hunts and new clothes. In fact, Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday ought to be a bigger deal to us as Christians than Christmas. Why? Well, because the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, they form the heart of the gospel. And that gives us meaning and purpose. It gives us mission. Pastor Trent is in a series called Lift Up Your Eyes. We heard him teach from Psalm 121, where we're told we need to lift up our eyes and see above our own hills. He said we need to look to the Creator who keeps us and never sleeps. Then we heard a message about lifting up our eyes when disaster strikes. Our powerful God who holds the entire universe in His hand is way bigger than our difficulties. And in the message we'll be concluding here today, Pastor Trent took us to John chapter 4, where Jesus told His disciples to lift up their eyes, to see the fields. He says we need to recognize that they're ready for harvest. So really, today's message is only possible because of what we're celebrating this weekend. You and I would have no mission at all if it weren't for Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and His glorious resurrection on the third day. So let's listen to part two of the message, Seeing with Jesus' Eyes. Here's Pastor Trent. John chapter 4. Verse 35 says this, the words of Jesus. Jesus says, Do you not say there are four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And we're going to see four things this morning that we have to get right if we're going to be on mission with God. The first of those is this increase your appetite. Now, this passage that I read, I read verse 35 there. It's right in the middle of John chapter 4. John chapter 4 tells that very familiar story about Jesus who had to go through Samaria and he met the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. You're familiar with this story? Some of you are. And so Jesus begins a one-on-one conversation with this woman. And because they were at the well, at the hottest part of the day, it was really obvious why they were there. They were both thirsty and they needed a drink from the well. Jesus takes the opportunity and uses the physical thirst of a woman to illustrate she had a much deeper thirst, a spiritual thirst. And so Jesus says to the woman, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink and I would give you living water and you'd never thirst again. She said, that sounds like a bargain. Give me that drink. Jesus immediately changes the subject and says, go call your husband. Out of the blue, what does that have to do with anything? 
Jesus put his finger on the artificial substitute she was using to try to quench her spiritual thirst. She said, I, I don't, I, I don't have, I, 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 I don't have, I, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. You've had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. She says, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> well, understatement of the year, right? Some of you have been bouncing from relationship to relationship to relationship or idol to idol to idol, functional savior after functional savior. You could put a thousand things in there. It's movie, it's entertainment, it's parents, it's money. And you are looking for something to satisfy a spiritual hunger in you. None of it will satisfy. This morning, you need to embrace Jesus Christ as the only one that can satisfy the thirst of your soul. And if you will do that, you will never be thirsty for those things again. If you've never done that, I beg you, come to Jesus Christ. Increase your appetite. Quench your spiritual thirst. Verse 27, look at what it says. Just then, his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Verse 31, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. I mean, can you see these guys coming back with these hamburgers? And they just got wrappers and French fries, a little ketchup on there. Like, and Jesus, we brought you some, some food. Don't you want to eat? Here, and we know you're hungry. Just like a bunch of guys, you'd imagine these guys. And then verse 32, but Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. What food is that? Verse 33, so the disciples said to one another, has anybody been giving him something to eat? He's, he's not hungry for the food. What, what? These guys are so enamored with their food. And it's hard to believe. I know it's hard for you to imagine guys with food. They're so focused on their food, they have missed out on spiritually what's going on between Jesus and this woman. Then in verse 33, so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So now Jesus uses the physical food to teach them a lesson about spiritual food in the same way that he used a woman's physical thirst to teach her a lesson about spiritual thirst, he's still using analogies. So what is Jesus saying? My food is to do the will of him who sent me. First of all, I want you to notice, everywhere Jesus went, he was sent by the Father on mission with God. And he had an appetite for something more than physical food. He had an appetite for people, for souls, for people that needed to come into relationship with Christ, that needed forgiveness, that needed purpose, that needed satisfaction beyond anything this world could give. And Jesus said, I am replenished. I am nourished by the food of the will and the work of God. Can I ask you a question? What replenishes you? What is your food? What are you hungry for? Some of you need to change your diet to the diet that Jesus had, to be nourished, to, re to be replenished by the mission, the will, and the work of God, to seek those things that God is seeking. Here's the second thing. Open your eyes. 
He says in verse 35, lift up your eyes. The fields are white. They're ripe for harvest. Now, interestingly about these Samaritans, this Samaritan woman there, they were in a Samaritan territory there. When the Samaritans went to worship, they put on ceremonial garments that were white. And we see back up in verse 29, this woman left that well. She went into the city and this is what she says in verse 29. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out from the town and they were coming to him. So when Jesus told the 12 guys to lift up their eyes off of their hamburgers and get their eyes up, do you know what they saw? That's what they saw. They saw the Samaritans coming out of the town dressed in white coming and Jesus said, fellas, that's your mission. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They don't have a right perspective on God. They are darkened. They don't understand their need. If we would lift up our eyes this morning and see what Jesus sees out there, and for some of you in here, do you, what, do you know what you would see? You would see people that are enslaved to sin. They have appetites for things that are actually suicidal. They're self-destructive. Do you feel the weight of our responsibility to tell them there is a better way? His name is Jesus. There's good news. You don't have to live this way. If we could see what Jesus sees, we would see people that are darkened in their understanding. They're upside down in their thinking. They call what is wrong right and call what is right wrong. Because they can't see it. They've been blinded to the reality of the gospel because the God of this world has darkened their sight spiritually. They're lost. They're running around. They're bumping into things. They're scraping themselves in the obstacles of this world. And we have the light. We are the light to shine into the places of darkness. And if you could see what Jesus sees, you would see people that are taking their next step toward an eternity separated from God in a place called hell, in a place that Jesus described as fire and brimstone where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. In Revelation, it's called a lake of fire where people that have ignored God and rejected his offer of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ where they will experience the just judgment of the wrath of God. Do you see the people that are the objects of the wrath of God until or unless someone delivers the message of the gospel and God awakens them to the reality of their sin and they turn from their sin because they've been granted faith and been given the gift and had their hearts enlightened to the gospel and they turn and they serve Jesus Christ. That is not only their condition, that was the condition of every person in this room prior to God doing that for us. How selfish would it be for us to keep that message to ourselves while others are taking their next step toward hell. Do you see what Jesus sees? Lift up your eyes. Get on mission. Get the gospel right and then get the gospel out. Let's reduce the pagan population of Michiana. You say, but that's not popular. 
I mean, people will just... Don't, I mean, isn't there a... Don't they arrest Christians now for, like, mentioning the name of Jesus? Isn't it just against the law to talk about Jesus outside of church? I, I've heard that. My professor at school told me that. I, there's a, a, fr- a college freshman in our church that told me recently. Um, he was taking classes at the local community college here. And uh, the, one of the questions was just... Write an essay on what motivates you. What's, what's, what, what, and he said, well, the greatest motivation I have is, is the fact that God is the center of my life. Um, professor said, you cannot put that on a paper. That's against the law. You, you can't bring up God in, in, in that context. And it's like, really, really, really? So he calls the, the compliance department at the college, and they said, no, the, the professor's actually the one that, that's wrong in that situation. We've been duped into believing that we can't be on mission with God, and we've been duped into believing that no one will hear us. My friend Ed Stetzer is a researcher. He's done a lot of research on like what's happening missionally in the culture and what's happening uh, in the conversations around God, it might surprise you to know how responsive people would be to a conversation around God. Some questions were given, some research was done. Those who were somewhat or strongly agree with this statement were in these categories. God, a higher or supreme being, actually exists. Did you know that 81% of people still in their 20s still believe that? And they get hardened after 30. Only 73% of people believe that. People that would agree with this statement. There exists only one God, the God described in the Bible. 57% of people still in their 20s still believe that. Why aren't we talking to them? Why aren't we giving them the good news? How about this? Do you agree with this statement? Jesus died and came back to life. Two out of three people in their 20s believe that. And almost, and more than half of people over the age of 30 believe that. Why aren't we talking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the powerful implications of that on their life? Part of it is because of the way that they, they view us. So some of the questions related to what they look at in church. How about, do you strongly agree with this statement? The church is full of hypocrites, people who criticize others for doing the same thing they do themselves. Well, two-thirds of the people think that the the church is full of hypocrites. Apparently, they haven't been introduced to the rest of us because we're all hypocrites. I, I just like, yeah, just come on in and join us. We're a great group of hypocrites, forgiven hypocrites. We're, we're not trying to be hypocrites, but this is just kind of, we're not perfect. And if you're, if you're looking for a church that doesn't have hypocrites in it, please don't join that one. You'll mess it up. I mean, because you're one too. It's like, as, as far as hypocrites go, Harvest, I think, has some of the better ones that we're, we're trying to not be. Right? We're, we're trying to address this problem in our lives. Other people would say, well, I think Christianity today is more, is about, is more about organized religion than loving God and loving people. It's like, well, that's a problem, but I'm like, what do you want? You're not into organized religion? Wait, you into disorganized religion? We're trying to organize ourselves around loving God and loving people. That's just kind of critical that we all kind of lock arms together and we do this and we have uh, different assignments and everybody's using their different gifts and we kind of have some leadership and mission and goals about that. That's, that's, that's good organization. That's called a church. Other people would say, well, do you agree with this statement? Christians get on my nerves. Again, they haven't met all of us yet. And uh, when they do, we'll at some point get on their nerves. And, and so these can be obstacles here, but how open would somebody be to you actually talking to them 
about the gospel. Notice this. If someone wanted to tell me what he or she believed about Christianity, I would be willing to listen. Almost 90% of people in their 20s, three quarters of the people older than that, would be willing to listen to a hypocrite like you. Tell them about Jesus. Why aren't you doing that? What do you seek? Why aren't you talking to her? I would be willing to study the Bible if a friend asked me to. Now, first of all, you have to be a friend. Then you ask. And they would be open to you talking to them about the Bible. How about this? I would be willing to join a small group of people to learn more about the Bible and Jesus. Notice how open people would be if we would simply lift up our eyes and see it's the only purpose God has us here. Here's the third point. Do your part. Look here at verse 36. Already, the one who reaps is receiving wages. Now, Jesus is still using this illustration of harvest. Now, we live in Indiana. We know something about harvest, right? It says, the one who reaps is receiving wages. That means that there's eternal benefit for the one who actually gets involved in the mission of God and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. Notice there's joy in the work. Then verse 37, for here the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Notice, one sows, another reaps. One plants, another picks. And you never know if you're going to be the planter or the picker. The good news is you don't necessarily have to do both. You just have to do your part. My wife, Andrea, we love blueberries around, around here and and uh, we're close to those blueberry farms, you know. And how many of you have ever gone to one of those places, that, like a U-Pick fruit stand or, or something like that? And the great thing about going to this U-Pick thing is it gives you the illusion that you've actually worked for it, okay? All you're doing is actually harvesting something that somebody else has sown. And you save a little money, and my, my wife has been known to bring home pounds of, of blueberries. Some of you that have shown up at the UPIC place after my wife has been there have been disappointed because there, there's no blueberries left. And so the great thing is this, in the kingdom of God, you don't have to do all the planting and you don't have to do all the picking. You just have to do your part. The average Christian can identify 17 different people that played a role in them hearing the gospel before they received it. You never know if you're going to be number 17, number 10, or number 1. But we must do our part. There are times that people come into our church 
And they, they, they surrender their lives to Christ. They make a public profession of faith and we see them baptized. And when we hear their story, they tell us about, boy, they, you know, they heard the gospel from a grandmother. or Man, they went to this church over there and then they got in the army and there was a faithful chaplain over there. There was a church across town they went to for a while. And that planted some seeds of the gospel. But then we got to pick it. There's other times that people come here and we're sowing seed, we're scattering it. And finally, after years, they might end up over at GCC or Fulkerson Park Baptist Church in Niles and they come to Christ there. Woohoo! Just do your part. Be a part of the kingdom. What part did you do in the last six months planting or picking the harvest? If you can't identify anyone at any time, you planted the seeds of the gospel or even were bold enough to say, would you in this moment repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ? Is there anything right now keeping you from doing that? And some of you have never had the privilege of actually seeing someone in the moment of conversion Put faith in Christ. If you've never had that joy, lift up your eyes. Be a part of the process. And for those of you that are sitting on the sideline waiting for everybody else to plant and to pick, lift up your eyes. We have need for small group teachers. We have need for youth workers. We have need for children's uh, ministry people. The fields are white unto harvest, not just inside the walls of the church, but outside. And that's why we have to understand this. More research was done and it says, I have a personal responsibility to share my religious beliefs about Jesus Christ with non-Christians. So the question was asked, do you agree, strongly agree or disagree with that statement? Over half of the people said, yeah, I strongly agree. Well done, 55%. The other 45% still do not understand the mission that God has them on. And so if you don't understand, it is not only your personal responsibility, it is a weighty responsibility. It's the only reason you're still here. You need to get on mission. Here's another statement. Do you agree or disagree? I feel comfortable that I can share my belief in Christ with someone else effectively. Not as strong in that, but still almost three quarters of the people said, I could probably stumble my way through a presentation of the gospel and tell people that I know Jesus died on a cross in my place as a substitute for my sin. God is holy. Christ is Savior. Man is sinful. Repent and believe. It, by the way, I just gave you the outline of the gospel. If you don't know that, you got to get it down so that you're in the strongly agree category. I could share my faith with somebody and tell my story. But then notice this. Agree or disagree? In the last six months, I have invited an unchurched person to attend a church service or some other program at my church. Half of those people have not invited a single individual to hear the gospel in the context of a local church. That's just the baby step. To go hard enough and even to let them know there's a church in town that might be able to help you with your thing much less go beyond that and share your faith and share your story. We've got to tell our story. Look at verse 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Notice what her story was. 
she shared the most shameful parts of her life as part of her story. It means she told them all that she had done in rebellion to God. And then do you know what she did? She told them all that Jesus had done to cover all that she had ever done. That's our story. We tell our story, we tell his story. And notice the result, verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word, his story. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Listen, he didn't come to be a personal life coach. He didn't come to be a financial counselor. He didn't come to be a marriage counselor. He came to be a savior. He didn't come to give you good advice. He gave good news that his work on the cross was sufficient to save those that were destined to an eternity in hell. Tell your story. Lift up your eyes. My prayer is that God would bring to mind... Faces and names of people in your circle of influence, in the traffic patterns of your life. Lift up your eyes. Do you see? Do you see their faces? Maybe some of those people actually live in your home, their immediate family members. And parents need to go to children. Share the gospel. For some of you, it's extended family. For some of you, it's classmates or teammates, work associates. For some of you, it's people in the neighborhood. Do you see them? Lift up your eyes. What part are you playing in reducing the pagan population? It's not enough to adorn the gospel. We have to share the gospel. Father, I pray for each person here that's thinking of other people that are not here. God, would you put on our hearts the responsibility, the weighty responsibility of being on mission with you? God, it's hard work. We need help. So we lift up our eyes vertically first and then missionally for the help that we need. Remind us of the truth of the gospel. Refresh that in us each day. We pray in Jesus' name. Again, seeing those around us with Jesus' eyes is only possible because of what we celebrate this week, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. If Jesus were still in that tomb, we might as well pack it all up and do something else. That's Pastor Trent Griffith of Harvest Bible Chapel challenging us to lift up our eyes and reach out to others with the good news. Well, this Easter Sunday, if you're looking for a church to visit, I have a suggestion for you. Why not visit Harvest Bible Chapel? 
There are several options available to you, including service times in both Granger, Indiana and St. Joseph, Michigan. For more information about our campus locations, regular service times, and special Easter services, just visit harvestgranger.org. Again, that's harvestgranger.org. Now, what would you say is your mission? Have you given much thought to that? Next week, Pastor Trent will show us from Acts 16 that our faith was never meant to be a private thing between us and God. We'll get some training in missional thinking then. Thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus. May your heart be flooded with gratitude and worship as you celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And may God's word resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.